Podcast. Now, if you're on any social media platform, I'm sure you've come across a post that goes something like, have you seen these verses that have been removed from the NIV Bible because people are trying to corrupt the Bible and hide God's word? So they'll go something like uh, Matthew 17, 21, Mark 7, 16, Mark 11, 26, and they say all these verses have been taken out of the New Testament from the NIV and um, you can only find them in the King James and because people are trying to hide God's word from you they are trying to corrupt the Bible and things like that and sometimes uh, when you're a Christian and you don't understand this is it can be a bit scary or troubling and you think well somebody's trying to corrupt the Bible well so what are the facts what really is going on is someone trying to corrupt the Bible or welcome to the 830 podcast let's find out <music> This is the 8.30 Podcast. Okay, so welcome back. We've been looking at how we got the Bible we have now in the form that we have. We started from the Old Testament, the Alexandria era, and how translations were done to the Septuagint all the way to the New Testament and how the different translations were done to the Tyndall Bible and Michael Bible and all those different Bible translations that we had along the way. Now we ended on King James, how we got to King James and now we want to look at how we move from King James to the other translations. How did we get some of the translations that we have today? The NIV, the ESV, the NASB, and all the other translations. Let's look at the journey of those translations. Now, we ended on the King James, and I did mention um, something about Texas receptors, the received text, when it comes to the King James, that when they were doing the King James translation, it was based off scripts that are called Texas receptors or sometimes also called the majority text or something like that um, and this now let's let's explain even the whole manuscript um, aspect of the Bible for for us to understand so if we look at the the church era so after Christ and his apostles if we make that point point zero after the Christ and the Apostles, all the other churches started making copies of the Bible. Started making copies of the books, the letters that were written and all that. So we had a lot of different copies being made of the different texts because remember those days there was no printing press. So after a while, in the church era, let's say maybe 300 years after Christ, they started collecting these um, different, different copies and different um, books into what they call manuscripts. So they kept keeping different copies there, maybe just a page here or this is a, a, a two pages or whatever they could find. They just started collecting them together and, and making copies of those collections. Were what we what came to be known as the manuscripts. So the, these are the, the copies of the different.
different books as they could be found in their various stages some it was maybe just three pages some was just uh, a paragraph whatever you could find they just started copying them collecting them so when you have a, 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 a full volume of these collections they are called like a man, the manuscript Another important thing to note about the manuscripts is the date, the period within which a certain group of manuscripts are found. Now, if we look at the, what the Texas research is called the majority text, from which we got the King James. Now, the, the source or the manuscript for this um, collection was actually about 1,000 between um, 1,000 and 1,500, so let's say 1,200 years. I know that that may sound a, a lot, but in terms of archaeology and manuscripts and those things, it's not really a lot. About 1,200, 1,300 years after the originals, after the New Testament era. So 1,000 AD, or no, rather 1,200, 1,300 AD. That's where you have the documents that were used, the, the Greek manuscripts that were used for the translation of the King uh, James. This is called the Texas Receptus. So that collection of documents in terms of dates is about, about 1,200, 1,300 years after Christ. That is important and it's also based off a small number of collections so it's not as big as Later found. So again, let me just go back again. Because at this point we don't have photocopies, everything is being copied. And you know the thing with copying: when you copying something, or oh, that um, test you do where you, you align people in a straight line, you tell the one on the extreme left something, and you tell them to repeat it to the next person and the next person. Person, what you told the first person has completely changed, so that's how it can be with copying things in the sense that as you copy things over time, sometimes mistakes come into the copying. So, when you have a set of documents of which, um, which was used as the basis for the 1611 King James, that's the year 1611 King James, the one was um, commissioned by the king now this is one is a small set of manuscripts at the time this was the best that was known the best collection of known manuscripts of which um, and because of that it was used to make the King James that was all we had at the time now, after the King James was done later years down the line more manuscripts were discovered so and here's the thing when more manuscripts were discovered they were discovered in two places some manuscripts were discovered that were about maybe 600 years after christ so remember this is the king james was based on manuscripts that were 1200 1300 years after christ okay and then we found some manuscripts that were like 600 years or 700 years after christ that's one and we even found later manuscripts that were like 200 years after Christ so you can see that these later manuscripts were much earlier and if you look at that story um, 
that experiment we do about passing a message on on people in the line you realize that the message changes more as you move away from the source of the original person so normally with manuscripts manuscripts that are earlier um, are, are thought of to be closer to what was originally said than those that are earlier because the more you copy and copy and copy the likelihood that errors will be introduced so that is some of those things that you have so one we found about um, about 24,000 manuscripts that were about um, 600 700 years after and they found another set of manuscripts that were also within the Constantine era that's um, between 250 to 350 years after Christ and in terms of archaeology these are really early dates because archaeology sometimes deal with very long periods gaps within manuscripts and the originals and the copies and that. so in terms of archaeology these are very significant so what happened was that the new the king james is based on a set of manuscripts that are much later after the original or, or, or the copies of the originals and then later we find and it's also a smaller set then later we found manuscripts that are much earlier and they are a bigger sample size they're bigger pool so what happened is the newer bibles that came up the niv the esv nlt these decided these um, authors or the publishers of these bibles decided to rely on what is called the eclectic test or like a, a, a collection eclectic text these are the manuscripts that are earlier and they are also bigger in volume. So the eclectic text is what is used to translate or is used as the basis for translation into the other modern translations, the NIV, the ESV, the NLT, NESB and all of that. All the other major translations, all of them except for King James and New King James. Now, what they realized was that as you came earlier or you came later to using the later manuscripts like those that were used in the King James certain phrases certain sentences are found in those ones in the later ones that is those closer to our time that is the 1500 AD manuscripts those ones some words or phrases are found in them that are not in the um, those later so what, what they realized was that sometimes those who are copying the manuscripts will probably put in the earlier ones, you will find something that is put in as a comment, not necessarily as part of the text, but as a comment that maybe the copier or the one doing the, the scribe doing the, the copying will put a comment in the, in the margins as they were copying. But then later as the things was copied and copied and copied, those comments were mistakenly copied into the main text as part of the of what the text is saying. And then there will be then the next person who will copy from that uh, mistake that was done will copy that as part of the text. So if you go back and you take an earlier version and you compare it with a later version, so you take a manuscript from say 
300 AD and you compare it to the manuscript from say 1200 AD you realize that there are things that have appeared in the 1200 one that in the uh, 200 AD were just comments they were not part of the Bible text itself they were just commentary or they didn't even exist at all so when they found this the new translations NIV ESV they decided on a number of things so some of them said okay since we have enough evidence that these portions of the text and some of these comments are not part of the actual text we will not include them in our translation so that was one some of them also decided to keep them as footnotes so if you're using a hard copy bible you'll see that some of them there'll be footnotes with the at the bottom of the page will just tell you that this passage is not here but it's at the bottom because it was not found in earlier manuscripts so it will be there for you to um, see it and then some if especially if you're using a soft bible like you're using a bible app or something like that when you look at the text they will just put a bit of a, a, a note on that particular text and then they will tell you that that um, portion was not also found in the text so that was how they handled all the new translations had different ways of dealing with it some decided to not include it at all some decided to include it but then give you a note to tell you that it's not part of the text or something they all decided on a way to handle that particular portion of the text so that's what you have to know when it comes to what really happened to the text that we have in the New Testament it's not a question of someone trying to hide the text or someone trying to um, remove something from God's Word or something like that so a, a good example of this is if you look at the ending mark 16 so mark 16 we have what we call the short version and the long version the king james has mark 16 ending in verse 20 and the other translations will either end in verse 8 or the 9 to 20 will be there but they'll put it in italics or in a square bracket and then they'll put some notes so if you look at the esv for example from um, Mark 16 9 to 20 they have a note over there that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 16 9 to 20 so they put Mark 16 9 to 20 they, they put it there but they put it in the square brackets and they put it in italics and then they put that message up there for you to know so they give it to you but then they make you aware of um, what it is um, what they found about that portion of scripture now that portion of scripture is found in what they believe is that um, if you look at the other translations a lot of the statements made in mark um, 16 9 to 20 is actually found in other portions of the bible but it's not really found in the earlier manuscripts at the, as an ending to mark 16 so it's either some scribe um, wanted to um, write some commentary or something about 
the way uh, Mark was ending, and then over time, it all that um, commentary ended up being part of the ending of Mark or something. But the fact is that those things that are there are not maybe heresy or they are not um, biblical or they are actually different portions of the Bible that have been put together or pulled together and put in there as a conclusion to Mark but they are not part of the original writing of Mark as we have evidence for um, as we have manuscript evidence for so when you look at Mark 169 to 20 at least having that understanding you know what you know how to use it or how to treat that ending of Mark 16 um, 9 to 20 so it's not a case of NIV or some of these modern translations trying to um, remove God's word or to um, hide the truth from us or anything like that there are so many of them that are, are like that they are about 16 omitted verses that are not in these new translations but you can find them in the king james now the question is so why is king james also keeping this so the new king james and king james kept they kept using the texas receptors there this earlier manuscript now their argument for keeping or continuing to use this earlier manuscript is because they argue that during the time that the the Texas Receptus was used. This was the most accepted or the widely accepted manuscript that was available. Well, it's true because it was the only manuscript available. And the churches within that era accepted it and that was what they used as the Bible or that's what they knew to be God's word. So because it was accepted and used widely as used as God's word, the New, the New King James uh, translators also of the view that well let's keep this one and use it because that was what was used at the time that those uh, manuscripts were in circulation it was wide it was in wide circulation so that's why sometimes it's called the majority text it was in very wide circulation and it was widely accepted so that's the argument for keeping and uh, the New King James continuously using Texas receptors and the other argument for the other translators using the eclectic text is that well yes at the time all we had was the Texas receptors that's fine but now by God's grace we found a lot more that are older than Texas receptors and in terms of volume they are more than the Texas receptors and so since we found older and quote-unquote better manuscripts a larger set of manuscripts it's better in order to protect the integrity of God's word to rely on those ones so these are the two arguments for and against um, why to use success receptors or why to use the eclectic text and yes yeah, sometimes it can go on and on but the the thing to understand is whether you go with Texas receptors or New King James and uh, Old King James or the eclectic text that is the NIV, ESV, NLT, NASB, all those other ones. The reality is that no doctrine is impacted when you either introduce or omit these um, verses that there are disputes whether they belong or they don't belong. No, none of our essential doctrines is impacted as Christians. 
that's why this thing is most of it not a problem none, none of our the deity of christ um, salvation redemption grace and rapture judgment none of these are impacted by these quote-unquote disputed texts and so it's not really a problem um, you can be fine with the new king james you can be fine with the old king james you can be fine with the niv you can be fine with the esv all of them um, as, just as long as you understand what is going on so that you can explain to people you are okay to use um, new king james if that's what you prefer and or use the niv that's what you prefer most people are for older people they are used to the sounding of the new king james or the old king james because it's like that's how they've heard god speak you know sometimes when you use the nlt it doesn't even feel very spiritual quote unquote so it's okay if you want to use the new king james or the um, the newer ones nlt and all that all of them are good translations and you can use any of them now that was to talk about good translations now let's end by talking about a bad translation or one that is not even a translation at all that is the passion translation now this passion translation by Brian Simmons is really catching on a lot of people love it because of the way things are phrased and, and all that but the passion translation is a really dangerous translation and we know just before I look I go into it we just Revelation 22 um, 19 talks about the fact that if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy um, God will take away his share in the tree of life and that so that's just a warning about taking away from God's word or adding to God's word that is a very dangerous thing to do and that's exactly what the passion translation does and that's why it's dangerous now the passion translation has a lot of words and a lot of uh, interpretation or spins to some portions of the bible so it makes it really dangerous for christians so let's go through a few examples so if you look at luke chapter 1 verse 1 to 37 now look at it in the esv it says for nothing is impossible with god niv for no word for no word of God will ever fail. Okay, then you look at the King James, says, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Now let's look at the Passion Translation. No promise of God is empty of power. For with God there is no such thing as impossibility. Now it's it may seem innocent, but the whole idea of God's promise is empty of power. That's not what this is talking about. There's nothing here about power in what is being said. So the, the translator is implying a lot of things. Is is reading the text and making an inference that is not there. For with God, nothing is impossible. That's what the text says. But then one, it, it comes with that the Passion Translation introduces the idea of no promise of God is empty of power. That That is bad enough. Then it goes on to say, For with God knows no such thing as impossibility. If you just pick the second part, For with God there is no such thing as impossibility, You'll be fine. 
but that first bit that's added no promise of God there's nothing here about a promise of God or anything in this particular portion of the text but the passion just adds the idea to it no promise of God is empty of power and when you read it like that and you are trying to understand what the Bible is saying you, you are sent of a slightly different tangent from where the apostle or the Holy Spirit is, was trying to, to take you in terms of the original translation because remember what you've learned so far when we read the Bible we want to know the intent of the author that's what we are looking for we are not looking for the intent of someone who is transcribing the Bible or okay so let's look at another example um, mark 115 Mark 1.15 in the ESV says, And saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now let's look at the NIV. It says, The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Let's look at the, the King James. It says, And saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now look at the Passion Translation. It says, At last the fulfillment of the age has come. It is time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. Again, on the surface this may look like nothing but so many ideas are introduced in this one line what is this idea about god's kingdom to be experienced in fullness one it it, it takes the attention from god to us because this one says the kingdom of god is at hand the kingdom of god is here it's not talking about experiencing god's kingdom in fullness or anything like that it's just saying that there's a warning that the kingdom of god is at hand so you have to do something but this translation if you read it the way it's trying to communicate is turning the attention to yourself that God's time has come and you are going to experience something in fullness which is not what Mark 1 15 is saying and then it ends by saying turn your light back to God and put your trust in this hope-filled gospel again where is this hope-filled gospel the gospel is the good news and that's just it hope-filled gospel it's not necessarily just the gospel you don't have to add adjectives to the gospel the gospel is the good news so hope-filled good news what is that again so these are the little things that tend to shift your understanding and and, and reshape and twist what the bible is saying and, and introduces new ideas and new concepts that are very foreign to god's word and so yes whilst all the other translations the niv and the esv and all of the king james are all good the passion translation is not really a translation it's more like someone taking the bible and making some form of commentary to it and then calling it a bible if it's a commentary it will be viewed differently because we know when you're reading a commentary you know you are reading someone's thoughts and ideas on a passage when it's presented as a translation you know that you are reading the bible as it's been translated from one language to another greek or hebrew into um, english for you to read so you are expecting to read the best translation of what was originally said 
just for you to understand not for someone to put a spin on what has been said before you understand it and so yeah you run the risk of being introduced in new ideas that are very foreign to the bible and believing something completely believing as paul would say another gospel but paul says if anyone even an angel brings you another gospel let him be a curse so that's how serious the apostles viewed adding to god's word or twisting god's word or changing god's word from what is intended to be and because of that that's why i always say christians need to stay away from the passion translation because it's not faithful to the text of scripture those are my thoughts on the passion translation and for the others we can we can keep using them if you think you want to use the esv if you think you want to use the nasb NIV King James whichever one you want to use um, keep using them um, in our next episode we are going to delve a bit about the differences between the translation styles of these different Bibles NASV NIV and all of that we're going to look at all those ones but for now just wanted us to get our understanding of how we move from the King James all the way to the New King James all the way to the um, NIV said the differences between those two, why we have some verses missing in the new NIVs and um, the ESVs, and we have them appearing in the King James. It's not as though someone is trying to hide something, it's just a differences in uh, just differences in what they think should be there, what they believe to be there based on the documents they are using. So once you understand it like that, it's easy to explain to people and you don't get alarmed when people um, go around saying somebody is trying to hide the Bible, somebody is trying to corrupt the Bible. It is rather books or translations in quotes like the Passion Translation that is rather trying to corrupt the Bible, um, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, we won't know, but it's a dangerous one and we should avoid those ones but the rest are okay and we can use them my name is jk say thank you for joining me i'll see you next week this has been the 830 podcast